Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here at Bethel. Uh, I've known Brad for just a few months. I guess we met uh, April sometime at the Student Pastor Advisor Team with Scott Dawson, Evangelistic Association, where I get to serve now. And uh, man, it's, it's an honor to, to stand in front of a bunch of people that I've never met before. Some of the students I've, I've seen before have met. Um, but just real quick, who is TJ? Let me just tell you very quickly a story that I tell everywhere I go. Uh, it doesn't matter if I've preached there once or 15 times. I tell this story every single time because, it, A, it gives us some common ground. And, B, I just, I just feel like it's important to see where I'm coming from so that we can connect on a more personal level. April of 1987 was the Vietnam Memorial Dedication in Little Rock, Arkansas, and my dad was in the military. He was a master sergeant, and he, had a, he commanded some guys, and, and his job after the, the dedication was over, which was late at night, I'm not real sure what time it was, but it was dark. And as a six-year-old kid at that point, for me it could have been two o'clock in the morning when it was seven. I'm not real sure, to be honest. But my dad offered for me to ride in the truck with him. Well, I wasn't supposed to, but I was like, my dad's Rambo, he's in the military, let me get in the truck with him. It's an 18-wheeler called a low boy. It was the largest 18-wheeler that the military had at that point. This thing was massive. But you get up in the cab of the truck, there are no lights, there are no seatbelts, there's no radio, the windows roll down, but they really don't roll up too well, and it was loud. I mean, loud. So if we wanted to talk, it was pretty much impossible. I remember, because while we were going down Interstate 630 in Little Rock, Arkansas to head back to Jacksonville, uh, my door flew open and I flew out at 55 miles an hour. <laughs> and my dad, because the truck was so loud, had no idea that I was out of the truck. I landed on the, the shoulder. Uh, I, I'm not real sure if it was the pavement or the, or the grass. All I know is I ended up on the side of the road in the grass with a, a barely a scraped elbow and barely a scraped, I mean, scraped knee. And I remember standing up going, uh, dad, because <laughs> he's going down the road. He has no idea. Probably about a mile down the road, my dad reached over. He's like, hey, T okay. In the country, we say, he gone, all right? And I, I was out. And so my dad, he, he pulls over. I can, it's flat on this road. And, and I remember uh, seeing brake lights of kind of the convoy. It was about five or six 18-wheelers. And I remember seeing all the brake lights, and they all pull over. And my dad come running back to him. And that, my dad's a big old boy. And uh, we, we, he's called the Hulk in the military when he was still in, and he was a big, big guy. And I remember just seeing him running back to me, and we hugged, and, and uh, you know, we hugged it out. Needless to say, when I got back in the truck, I kind of sat in the middle of the truck next to my dad, attached to his arm. There was no way I was going to fly out of that truck anymore. And we made two or three trips back and forth to get all the bleachers back. And then my dad, when we got home, my dad said, hey, Charlotte, that's my mom. He said, Charlotte, you, uh, you might want to hug TJ just a little bit tighter tonight. She's like, why, what happened? I know something was happening. We're like, what? You know, did somebody call? That was before really cell phones, even the back phone was around. And, uh, and he, she, said, uh, she said, well, what's funny is, before you tell me, I've already called the cops. They've been looking for you guys because I just felt like something was happening. So moms, you are amazing. And I don't know how you do that, you know, how you know. So students, parents know everything. So just be honest about it, okay? And so uh, my dad said, well, TJ and I, we were riding down the road and... Uh, you know, not, nothing really big. He just fell a trade truck. He's like, all right, let's go to bed. She's like, what? You know, it was this whole thing. And um, I tell you that because I, I do want to tell you that, um, Pastor Josh, I don't take what I do and, and standing here. I know this is not your pulpit and your pl platform. This is God's platform, but I don't take it lightly. I believe God rescued me that day to tell you something today. I believe that to the core of my being. 
And so just know that I, I, don't, I don't stand here and say, TJ's going to fix it all because I can't fix anything, man. I can't straighten us out. I can't make us right. I can't make us holy. I can't do anything. I'm just another person. And for some reason, God allows me to stand and open up his scripture. I still hadn't figured that out. But we're going to open up to the book of Luke this morning. We're going to look at a couple verses in Luke, and then we're going to camp for a while in John. And I'll get you to turn there a little later. Let's go to Luke, the very first chapter. It's one of my very favorite verses, or four verses, to, to speak on. Because if we can get the first four verses, our lives will be completely different. Completely different. I believe that. And I'm still learning the four verses, but I want to challenge us together. So let's, let's go. Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to, those, to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, remember Luke is a doctor, so I'm glad that he writes a detailed account. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So let's camp here for just a second. Some believe Theophilus is a Roman official. Some believe that he was uh, potentially one of, the, one of the spiritual advisors in the, in the, Roman, in the Roman guard, in the, in the Roman place. But all we know is this, there's somebody named Theophilus. And some people believe this could, could just be a generality to people who love God. Um, but the reality is this, he was someone. And Luke felt for certain that he needed to write an orderly account for Theophilus because if Luke could invest in, could invest in and help Theophilus understand the gospel more clearly than obviously something big can happen to the point where he wrote the book of Acts and he also addressed Theophilus in the first few verses. So obviously Theophilus is somebody that we need to pay attention to. Theophilus was a lot like a lot of us. He was well known. People knew about him. He had a job. People asked him for advice. He had a little money in his account. He was known. He was somebody. Now I know our culture says that we're nobodies and, and to some people Theophilus was a nobody, but I can tell you to the Lord, he was somebody because he sent Luke to speak to him, to speak into him. It's important for us to understand that Theophilus is not just another name in Scripture, but it's somebody we have to hone in on. And something that Luke wants to get across that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Man, we live in the South. I just moved to Birmingham. Well, actually, I live in Pelham, um, but Birmingham area, so general area, it's about as far from Pelham to, to my office as it is from here to my office. And so I, I, I get it, man. I see churches on every single corner of every single street. And I think of cultural Christianity, and it scares me, because do we know for certainty what we believe, why we believe, and how do we go about actually living that out? If you drive 291 miles, if you take the right road, gentlemen, if you drive 291 miles straight south, where do you end up? The ocean, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Many of you knew exactly what I was saying. You, you knew that you was like, oh, it's the ocean. If you look directly south, once you get to Gulf Shores and you get on Gulf Shores Beach and you look south, what do you see? The water. Now, you can't see it from here. How do you know that that water's there? Because it can't be moved. The water moves, but you know the ocean's there. You know that it's there. The clouds that were above us when you walked in not 30, 30 minutes ago, if you, when you walked in here, 
The same clouds that were above you are not there now. You understand how a lot of us treat our faith the same way. Oh, whatever, whatever cloud comes by our way, that's what we're going to believe in. We're going to believe in that achievement. We're going to believe in the next job. We're going to believe in our grandkids doing something, and that's going to give us great faith. No, the Lord says you put your faith in him, not in the things of this world, because those things will be fading, man, and they will not be certain. They will be like a cloud. We, treat, we cannot treat our faith as something that is just a cloud, something we believe in this part and that part and this part, because the clouds are never fully connected. And what's crazy is we take them and we say, all right, I want this cloud, this cloud, this cloud. And I love, I'm a cloud watcher. I love to look at clouds and say, what did that make? You know, and I, I'm that guy. And, you know, we're like, well, I want to form that cloud. And in my mind, I want it to fit this. So we manipulate our lives to fit what we think is faith instead of knowing for certain what the faith of Christ is. You can't manipulate the gospel. And the gospel is not one that manipulates you. The gospel sets you free. It sets you free. In our culture of Christianity, there are a lot of people, and maybe some of us even in here, we've gone to church our entire lives. Man, I went to church my entire life at Christy Hill Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, a little country church. Had about 200 people. And I, I grew up in that church. I preached there last Sunday night. I got to go home over uh, Labor Day weekend. And, and I preached there last Sunday night, and it just reminded me how sometimes we can sit in a pew, and we can, we can go to church and, and put on the mask. And I, I was baptized at the age of seven. I had no idea. I was just jumping in the water. I was like, I love swimming, so let's do that. I sat in church. I led, my, I led my whole youth group, went through. And when my life went a little crazy in college, I, I, had, I got hurt playing college football, and I couldn't, the doctor told me I couldn't play anymore. So I ran away from God. I had no roots. I had no idea about the relationship that Jesus truly wanted me. I just wanted to have safety when I was a kid. I remember there's a sign on Interstate 40. If you're driving, if you get on I-40 and you cut across Arkansas and the roads are in Arkansas are not very good, they're really bumpy. Um, but if you get through there and it cuts through a place, little town, little city called Conway, Arkansas, and you get through there and you go up through Conway, and there's a sign just on the north side of Conway that says Russellville, 43 miles. If you ever drive through there, understand that's where I met God. I'll never forget it because I knew God was real. It wasn't about going to church, although we want you here. It wasn't about how many good things I could do, which is what I grew up under. It was about the total power and love of God. It became a mountain. You know, there was a place that we know about, we hear about it every Easter for sure, called the skull, Golgotha, where Christ was crucified. Man, we know the story, but I just want to read you just a snippet of it, because I want you to understand something really big. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. And listen to this. The same people, as they were killing Jesus, as they were, as Jesus, it wasn't that they were killing him, he was allowing them to kill him for a sacrifice. And as, the, as that was happening, he was forgiving them as they were doing it. If you think you can't be forgiven, you need to read that again. There is nothing, there is no sin bigger and more powerful than the power of the cross. And for sure, no more powerful than the empty tomb. There's nothing that can make us whole like that. Nothing. You know, you could sit in here every sermon, and I'm sure Pastor Josh does an incredible job. Seems like a great guy. We met 
just, just a minute ago. I'm sure he does a great job. I hear a lot of good things about him from Brad. Um, Brad, I'm still a little suspect on him. He told me to wear a clown suit, whatever that means for this morning. I said, Brad, what are you wearing? He said, a clown suit. I wish I had one. I would have worn it, but I'm scared of clowns, so I scratched that idea. But here's the thing. You could sit in here every Sunday morning, and you could hear about it. But here's my challenge to you is you need to get connected to a small group because then you're going to dissect it and figure out what in the world does that even mean in my life? You're going to get to rub shoulders and elbows with other believers who are in the same faith struggle as you are and in the same stage of life as you are. And I promise you, you'll be bitten. They didn't even tell me to say this. I'm just telling you, I'm a believer in small groups. It will make you sharper. It will make you deeper. It will make you more holy because God will take your group and say, let me pour into this group because you're seeking Christ together. I want to challenge you with that. You know, we have culture Christianity, we have the mantle of Jesus where we put him up on the mantle and we pull him down. It's like, oh, look at Jesus, he's good, and you put it back up there. You put things on the mantle for people to admire, not to live with. You've got the plastic Jesus, you want to mold him like a cloud. You want to mold him, make him the way you want him. You've got idolatry Jesus. You love the things of Jesus, you love the church, but you don't really love Jesus. Like, you have that idolatry Jesus. You have the not yet. Ah, I'm not ready yet, or I'm the good. I'm the good guy. You know, I do a lot of good things. That was my dad. For 65 years, my dad was a good guy. My uncle died of a heart attack working in the farm with my dad. We have a cattle farm. We, they have a cattle farm. Two and a half years ago, my uncle died of a heart attack. And my dad, through that tragedy, became a Christian. That was something I prayed for for over a decade, I can tell you that. Every single day, man. My dad's my very best friend. My dad's my best friend. And he would always tell you, when I try to, by the way, the hardest conversation, dads, if your kids want to talk to you about your faith, about your faith let them. That's the hardest conversation I've ever had was trying to share my faith and share Jesus with my dad. Let me tell you something. When I saw my dad get broken, God said, it's time. God rescued my dad. It's odd because now for two and a half years, I've been discipling my dad. That's an odd situation. And I love it. But it doesn't matter. My dad would tell you, man, I, was, I, I thought I was a good guy. You know, I thought I could earn that because, I, man, I treated my family. I, I did this. No, listen, that's not, how you, that's not how you find Christ. There are a lot of people on this planet that are good people. There are a lot of you. Hopefully all of you are good people in here. But the reality is this. We're actually pretty bad people because we have sin in our lives. doesn't matter how good you are. Jesus is the only one. The empty tomb is the only one that can actually rescue you. That's it. What about today? I remember walking out of my world civ class with Dr. Krieger at Arkansas Tech University and my girlfriend at that point, my wife now, standing right outside, leaning up against the wall, and I was confused because I had no idea why she was standing there. It wasn't her building. I was in the business building. She was supposed to be in the, the education building. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And she said, do you know what happened? I, like, I have no idea. She said, a, a plane flew into a building, flew into one of the, the Twin Towers. I was like, what? I went into, and I told Dr. Krieger, and he said, hang on. He turned on the TV, and I watched a man weep. A professor, I couldn't understand what was going on. Had no clue what was going on. But I knew it wasn't good. You know, there's all, terrorism wasn't really a big thing then. And it was, we knew of terrorists, but I mean, it was small things. We're like, man, was that an accident? So I got home, I got in my car, and I went back to my apartment at that point, And I sat down in my recliner, and I just turned on TV, and I started watching. Because I, I, my dad was in the military, I was, I was afraid. So I was, my, was my dad going to have to go to New York? What, what's the deal? And I got home just in time to watch the second plane fly into the other World Trade Center. I'll never forget that day. Students, if you know anybody age 30 or over, you should go ask them about the day that our country, our freedom came under attack. 
I promise you they can remember where they were. The exact moment they can tell you exactly where they were standing, where they were driving, they remember it. A lot of people, a lot of good people, have sacrificed their lives for our freedom here on this country. A lot of people. It takes sacrifice for freedom. We get to experience some great things in our nation. The fact that we can sit in this building and talk about Jesus on this planet is actually pretty close to a miracle. We just had a girl in from Egypt, and she, she's told us her families, they've been jailed for even speaking the name Jesus. You can't, and they, you can't even mention the name Jesus, not even a coffee shop. You can't, you can't mention him. You can't say it. I've got friends down in Haiti. I've got an orphanage down there. I've got friends down there that there's so many witch doctors. If you say the name Jesus, it gets pretty ugly. And we get to sit in here in our comfortable pews and think about the sacrifice. I want to read a verse to you that is rocking my world. John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus answered them. They were trying to trick him. People were trying to trick him. And Jesus said this, truly, truly. In other words, this is really important. You might want to listen up. And if it's important in that day, I promise you it's important in this day. I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does. So if, two little letters, really big word. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You hear that? If the Son sets you free. We try to set ourselves free all the time. Last year, um, slight brag, but it, it fits. Last year, I lost over 100 pounds. I made every excuse in the world, and I was locked in a cage of TJ depression. The Lord convicted me. And so I really want to give the honor to the Lord. He convicted me with a verse, convicted me in my life. I couldn't pastor, I couldn't minister, I couldn't play with my kids. I couldn't even, I couldn't even climb up the stairs or follow my kids upstairs. I'm so out of breath. The Lord convicted me. He said, TJ, I can set you free from this if you'll just follow me. I said, okay, let's try. I've had other times in my life where it was all about pride and ego. And man, I hear stories all the time of people who have dealt with pornography and they dealt with... Uh, extramarital affairs, they, they've dealt with just depression and anxiety, they've dealt, man, we can list and list and list, and we all got these self-help books that, you know, have your best life today, get free of this debt today, here's this, here's the reality, if the gospel is not the center and the focus of who you are, you are not free. You are chained, you are shackled to a wall, the, the, a, shack, a shackle and a chain, and the keys, you can't find them because there's only one person that holds the key to set you free, that's King Jesus. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. We just sang about it, man, that song. We didn't coordinate that song, at least not to my knowledge, the song that fits that we were talking about, Redeemed. 
Oh my goodness, listen, Jesus has come, he's opened the gate of your, of your jail cell, and he's unlocked the shackles that were holding you to the wall of sin and shame. By the way, Jesus says, or yeah, God says through Paul, he says, I will not put you to shame. For those who, if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe your heart that you are saved, he says, I will never put you to shame. Our world is about shaming you. Jesus is about releasing you and setting you free. He won't shame you. Here's the reality. Jesus comes in, he unlocks the shackles, and what do we do? We get up and get out. No. Most of the time we don't. We sit in the cell because those shackles are comfortable. They're comfortable. I'm going to pick them up and see if they still fit. Okay, no, don't put that away. I'm not going to get out of the cell because if I get out of the cell, that means I have to invite the 13 neighbors that I saw while I was driving in that were sitting on the porch. I counted them. How many people did I see outside? Guys, Jesus has set your shackles free. And I hear it all the time, and I'm guilty on some accounts. So I'm not telling you, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching for us through Christ. I believe sometimes the Christians, we just sit in our cell because that's where we're comfortable. That's where we want to be. We sit there and we just think, man, if I get out of the cell, I got to be different. Christian, do you remember when the trade centers were hit, you're ready to get up and sacrifice your all for our country? I remember asking Melanie and my dad saying, Can I go, should I go join the military? Should I go help? I remember it, man. It was a passion. I wanted to just go do something. We got to have the same passion that we had 15 years ago for our country. We got to have that same passion and more for our country today through the power of Christ because he set us free. And now he's handed you some keys and said, you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have friends, you have people at the gas station, you have people at McDonald's that you're going to drive through, you have people at Bojangles, whatever that is, and Milo's, you got all those places. I don't know what any of that is, but I know this, there are people who need to be set free just like some of you potentially in here today. Oh, y'all, you can't set yourself free. I tried. When I got hurt for about 18 months, I ran away from God. I hated him. I hated him. I blamed my football injury on him. I said, I don't want any more to do with you. I tried to set myself free, set myself free, do this, do that. I'm helping some people right now with different issues. They're just trying to do it on their own. Listen, you can't. What are you battling with today? What are you struggling with today? You can't set yourself free. You can go to some great counselors. I love counselors. They're so helpful. But if the gospel isn't the center of where you're going, it's a vicious cycle. Jesus says, if, if I set you free, you'll be free indeed. So why, why do I tell you all this? Because I want you to know with certainty. Do you know him? My best friend, high school, his name is Stephen Rogers. Um, <laughs> good, good buddy. Still good friends. And we went to the same church. We played football together. Um, he, was, he was my best friend. He still lives in Little Rock, and uh, we still call the hogs, especially in victory last night, and probably in October when we beat the tide, not a chance we're going to lose, but anyways, (laughs) 
I mean, even if I really thought we were going to win, there's no way I'd say that in here amongst a bunch of Alabama people, you know. There's more Alabama shirts than other shirts, so I'm out, you know. I would say roll tide roll, but if my son got a hold of that, he would not talk to me for a month. Stephen and I, we played a lot together. Uh, every Sunday night, we'd play basketball. Every Wednesday night, we played basketball at church. We'd hang out with our youth pastor. He was our spiritual dad because neither one of our dads were really strong. My dad wasn't a Christian at that point. Um, we did everything, and I, I was talking just some memories with my pastor, and the youth pastor was my pastor's son, okay? And uh, we went to a camp one time. I'll just tell you a, little, some, a few little stories, and I'll bring it around. You'll, you'll, you'll just, just go with me. And I remember we were at a camp called Saligahatchee. It sounds like a Mississippi name, I know. And uh, Oh, sorry, Pastor. Okay. So anyways, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we little, it was up on this mountain in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas, beautiful place. And um, we're going up there, and the pastor had just come on staff. He, he just kind of started. And I was kind of the ringleader of the youth group, right? We've all got stories like this, maybe. And uh, we were kind of, we were wrestling the pastor, you know. And I understand now there's no way if students are going to wrestle me, as, as when I was a student pastor, if students were going to wrestle me, there was no way I was going to let them win. You know, if they're one of your kids, sorry, they're not going to win. Like, and I'm not giving them a trophy for participating. You know, we're going we're, we're gonna to man up on this. And I remember uh, all the guys in the pastor, we've been, we've been going for about 10 minutes. That's what he said last time. It was probably more like three minutes. But he, uh, I backed up from it, and I put my fist up like this, like I was going to box him, and he popped me right on the mouth. Bam! And all my friends went, Phew. I was like, what in the world, you know? And my pastor, he said, that was actually the Lord's deliverance. It was, a, it was an illustration of deliverance because he was getting tired, and the Lord delivered him. And fast forward a couple years, we go to this place called Lonsdale. I'm trying to decide if I should tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you 90% of it. I'll just tell you that we went down a water slide, me and about five other guys, my cousin, uh, Stephen, potentially my youth pastor, maybe not. Yep. And uh, we— uh, Went down this water slide, that big water slide at uh, 3 a.m. <laughs> You're supposed to be asleep. We, so we'd snuck out, my youth pastor's idea. Thanks, Tim. And so we're going down the water slide, and I go down the slide, and I come to kind of a, a stop going down the slide because I got ahead of the water. And I thought there was a stick in the middle of the slide. That stick started moving. I was gone. Like, I was like, I'm out of here. All right. And Tim came down, and he crushed the head of it in the slide, and it scratched the slide. So they knew we were there, the people, the, the cops, the camp sheriffs on their golf carts. It was awesome. So then we go to the swimming pool. We dive in. We're hiding. They're coming around flashlights. I can't see us. We get out. And we go running back to camp. We go running back to our dorm. We're running in. We're soaking wet. We're taking our clothes off and throwing them in other kids' rooms. That way, if they find wet clothes, it's not us, right? <laughs> And as we're being, as we're running, as we're running back to our room, we're calling off names from other camps that we know that we've met. You know, oh, Jimmy from, you know, that way if they're looking, they're hearing names, they think it's somebody else. Next morning at chapel, we get, uh, we start off the morning. It's Friday morning. It's the last day of camp. You know, we were having a little last night fun. And I know none of your students ever do that, Brad, you know, kind of mess around. And um, they said, now we know who you are. Just hang after the chapel and we'll talk this out. And we'll move on. We're like, they don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't call us out. Nothing. We get back home. The next week, we get a letter. My pastor gets a letter from Lonsdale Church Camp associated with Lonsdale Baptist Association. And it says, due to T.J. Gillum 
Stephen Rogers named him off and said, and your youth pastor, comma, your son, <laughs> you're no longer welcome at Lonsdale summer camp. They kicked us out. We still laugh about it. You know, I, we were talking Saturday, Sunday, last Sunday, and said, wouldn't it be interesting if a group called me to come speak and it was there and I showed up and they're like, nope, that's his name on the wall. He can't, he can't speak here. <laughs> that'd be, I still think that'd be funny. I tell you those, tell you this. You're going you're to fight a lot in your life. You're going to fight a lot. And I know that sounds like a funny illustration for deliverance, but at some point, you got to let the Lord deliver you. You're gonna, you know, here's the thing. You, you're going to back up and you're going to put your fist up. And the reality is you're going to get popped in the mouth if you try to do it by yourself. The enemy knows how to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And Jesus says he comes to give you life and to give it abundant. Even in the midst of chaos, wrestling with the enemy, wrestling at your work, wrestling with do you matter, do you have purpose, wrestling with the inner thoughts that you have of trying to angle your way to to get known by somebody. You're trying to angle certain things, that the, the lies you tell to try to move forward. I mean, here's the whole thing. We have all these things circling around us. Sometimes we just need to back up and say, Lord, deliver me. Set me free, Jesus, because I'm so tired. I'm tired. I need you to deliver me. Push the enemy back. Set me free. I want to get out of the cell, but I'm scared. But oftentimes we run and we start naming other people's names about how much worse they are than us, about how they're the ones. Why them, Lord? You know, why, why are you advancing them? You're not advancing me. We're trying to blame this. Lord, look at the sin that person has. I'm pretty good. I mean, check me out. I'm, I'm good, Lord. And you go in and the Lord sees, he sees the dirty, the wet laundry that you've thrown other places to make it feel like it's somebody else's. He knows it's yours. You're not fooling him. And he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. If I set you free, Jesus says, you are free. You see, this whole journey is a process. We live in the generation of instant. In this instant journey, most of you, even my mom, who's 71, like some of you, have your iPhone or your droid, don't let the battery burn up in your hand. You know, you, you got all these different, we got all these gadgets and gizmos, and man, my, my 11-year-old son, if my iPhone or iPad or something breaks, he's like, hang on, Dad, I'll fix it. Here, I'm like, what? You're 11. I'm still working on the little two-button Nintendo, right, trying to figure that out. And he, he just does all this stuff, and it's amazing. We live in this generation, my mom even, she'll point, click, upload it to Facebook, and all the world can see it in a matter of seconds. And so when life hits us, we don't understand the process of what the Lord is going through with us and for us. We don't understand that. We think, man, I should be good, like I'm a Christian, right? I'm good. Or, or hey, man, I'm a good guy. You know, everything, why, why is everything messed up? Because there's always a process. Oftentimes, we only see the tree. We don't see the whole forest. You got to take that approach where you see the forest, not just the tree, because I promise if you see the forest, you're going to see the bigger plan of God. And you won't get so caught up in the things that really don't matter. What matters over your job, over your relationships, over everything, what matters is the gospel. That's what matters. 
Because I promise you, if you focus in on the gospel, if you see how beautiful and powerful the gospel is of Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting for us, for God's glory, for your hope, if you see that and you live that with certainty, you won't worry about that next promotion because the Lord's already got it in mind. Whether that be promotion in financial status, which I don't, you know, whatever, some of you need that. I get that. And the Lord sees that need. And this is not a prosperity gospel. This is reality. God sees your need even before you do. And he's already lined it up. If he sees you in depression, believe me, he wants to release you from that depression. But you can't let the world and what's going on and swirling around you identify you. You have to identify who Christ is and that his freedom can do that. It's all about him. The whole process of the foundation of the world has all been about the glory and the sun being elevated. That's our role. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's all for the glory. Let me finish by saying this. I'm terrified of the dark. Don't get any ideas up there, light guys. I'm, I'm like, it came from a church lock-in. They're made of Satan. Brad, don't do them. If you do, uh, let me come play this joke. All right, so the church lock-in, a guy, I'm not going to tell the whole story. Uh, I'll tell the most of it. Um, I, the guys, you know, the seniors were initiating the seventh graders. Um, so they told us to go in the bathroom. They turned the lights off, shut the door. You know, they were seeing if we were scared. I wasn't scared at that point. I mean, I grew up on a farm. It's dark, you know, whatever, big deal. Needless did I, or not that I knew, um, there was a guy up in the ceiling, in a suspended tile ceiling. They removed the ceiling, and he was up in there in an outfit that resembled the Scream outfit. And he jumps down and yells at us, and I flip out. Like, I just, I, I don't, like, I, I wouldn't punch him, you know, that you would think, oh, that's what TJ, probably, no, I fell on the floor, curled up in the fetal position, and just cried. And my buddies are with me, you think, I'm learning a lot about my friends this morning, you think they'd be there ready for me, or fall on the ground with me. No, they took off, they were gone, I was sitting there by myself. They had to call my mom and dad to come get me, and my dad basically carried me out, put me in the car, in the fetal position, I was terrified. Still to this day, I'm terrified of what's lurking around in the dark, right? So, my dad had a shop that was about from here, um, about 75 yards away. And every night he would tell me, TJ, go lock up the shop. Go lock up the shop. It's dark, y'all. I mean, all there was was a little back porch light. And, uh, you know, my dad, I think because he was a jokester, he put like a 40-watt bulb in it. <laughs> and then he put the yellow globe, if you know what I'm talking about, because it gets rid of mosquitoes and also makes a 40-watt bulb more like 10 watts or five and a half. He put it on there. And he screwed it on. He goes, all right, put a new light bulb in for him. Like, thanks. It lights up the six steps, you know, the, the two steps and the one step down. Not that I counted them. <laughs> but every night, I'd say, go lock up the shop, TJ. That's where we kept all of our tractors and farm trucks. So there's several doors. And um, it was far enough to where you got really away from the light. And, man, I, I, I'd get out there. And I'm convinced this is why I was fast in sports. I'd get to the back step. And I'd, I'd open up the back door to the house and I'd make sure the light was on. Flip. And uh and I'd look at the steps, all right, I could see all those. I can't see anything moving. If my family dog would have gotten me while I was running, he would not be our family dog any longer. And I, I located the back, the, the, the back of the shop because you could see the lights inside the building. Every night, he'd always wait till dark, you know. I should have been smarter and said, hey, I'll go at five, but he was still working. I said, all right, one, two, two and a quarter, <laughs> count to three, when I hit three, I'm telling you, every night I sprinted as fast as I could 
down the six steps, two step, one step. I'd run, it sounds like a dance move, but I, I, I ran through there and I ran as fast as I could to the back of the shop, up a little hill, um, a rock platform step onto the lip of the shop. And I knew I was safe because I could see inside the building. If somebody was in there, game on, let's go, right? So I get around, I, I shut the shop up, I turn off the lights except for the last one by the door and I hold the hand and I hold the knob and I get ready to put my hand on the light switch and I locate the back porch. Really, the bulb wasn't bright enough to see everything, but I knew if I could get to the light, I'm good, right? Because <laughs> so, that's where home was. That's, I knew I was safe if I got there. And so I grabbed on, one, two, flipped the light, shut the door, located the light. When I looked back, I ran as fast as I could to the light. I'm telling you, as fast as I could. And my dad was always laughing at me, not every night, but a lot of times because he could see the light reflecting off my face. And he was like, <laughs> I ain't scared, you know. Here's the reality. Some of us in this room, we need to run to the light because that's where home is. You've ran away from home. You're sitting in the shop and you're trying to locate the light. Open your eyes. The light is bright and all men can see it. If you just look, because I can promise you he's calling you. Man, that light is so bright. And the beautiful thing is whenever you locate it and you run to it, the light is hitting your face. You can only see it if it's reflecting off you. When it's hitting your face, you know that's the Lord shining on you. Man, when you're running home and that light's reflecting off and my dad can see the light, here's the reality. When the sun hits your face, people see your face because they see the sun shining off of you. Man, it's a beautiful thing whenever you come home. It's a beautiful thing when you come home. It's powerful. It illuminates your life. It makes you somebody new. It gives you a new name. It sets you on a new foothold. It makes you somebody that you never were before. You know what? That's a good thing because it's a holy thing, because it's a forgiveness thing. It's mercy. It's grace. It's peace, hope, love, gentleness, kindness, patience, and self-control. It gives you all those things because it gives you Jesus when you come home. You don't have to pay for it. You don't, have to, you don't have to be good enough for it because you're not. You don't have enough money. You can't sacrifice enough. The reality is the sacrifice is already done. Just like all these military people have sacrificed for our freedom here, the freedom we have and enjoy is great, but the freedom that we need is the freedom that Jesus gives us. The sacrifice is done. The question is, how will you respond to that? Will you come home? We come home. Some of us in this room, man, we've been Christians for a long time, but the light, we see it, but we're not reflecting it very well. We're kind of keeping our head down like this. I'm telling you, we're in a time and a day, and I'm young, man. I'm 30. I want to say I'm young. I'm 35. I've seen a lot change as, a, as a, kind of a student in the world and seeing what's happened and to see what's happened from whenever I could lead as many Bible studies as I wanted to. Now I got to ask permission every single time I go somewhere. I got to have like 17 permissions. The world is different. The question is, will you reflect Jesus everywhere you go? If you will, you got to point towards home. Last verse, and we're done. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Listen, you can't even make the light because the light's already there. That's the cool thing. You get to join in. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. For somebody that's terrified of the dark, I'm thankful for that verse. That I won't have to walk in darkness. You see the forest. You know the ocean is there. It's with certainty. You won't, you won't walk in darkness, and you will have, but will have, the light of life. Christian, don't hide your light under a bushel like the old song goes. And for sure, don't put it out with a shackle. Be free. Live free. 
Are you free? From the youngest student in here to the oldest adult in here. I'm not talking about do you know about Jesus. I'm asking do you know him? I do know him, man. Two weeks ago, I was in a place called Von Orr, Tennessee, backwoods. Met a guy named BJ from Sweden. BJ told me this. He said, I've spent my whole life going to a church in Sweden, never heard about Jesus. Came to Von Orr, moved to Von Orr. He, he restores antique furniture and builds custom furniture. My kind of man. I like that guy. He said, TJ, the first time I sat down and I heard the gospel, he said, first time I heard about Jesus and what he did. He said, all I could do was cry. He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, I, it scared me, so I didn't do anything. He said, six weeks went by, and I, he said, man, I just start, I'd be at work. I, he said, TJ, I'd be turning a piece of wood and, and making it into something beautiful. And he said that all of a sudden I'd hear Jesus or somebody or something is what he said, say, you're beautiful to me too. He's like, I don't get that, TJ. And he said, I'd have a clue. He said, I'd go to church, and I'd cry, and I'd go be working in wood, and I'd be crying. And he said, I, he said, six weeks in, he said, next thing I know, I just ended up at the altar because I knew I had to have this one that loved me so, so much. And he said it. He said, TJ, I've been so free since that day seven years ago. Are you free? Can we pray together?